The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, we're going to spend some time in God's Word. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And so if you have a Bible, uh, I would encourage you to open up to that. Uh, if you have our app, you click read, it'll open you right up to 2 Samuel 6. Uh, if you have none of those things, we got it up here on the big screen. 2 Samuel 6 says this, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. It's God's word for us today, and we're going to Spend some time digging into that in here. Uh, well, it is good to be back with y'all this week. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was out of town last weekend. We had a, a guest speaker come in, Greg Holtz, who's a missionary in Cambodia. And uh, if you missed his message, I encourage you to get on our app and get on our, our podcast and, and listen to it. It was, it was a great message. I got to listen to it this week. And uh, it's incredible to hear what God's doing through him there. And he kind of tied it all in with the story of David. And, and so it was, it was awesome. So I encourage you to check it out. Uh, but we're, we're going to continue in our series uh, with David. And, and for those of you who don't know, David is this guy in the Old Testament, a character in the Old Testament. He's he's a poet, uh, he's a warrior, he's a king of the nation of Israel. And what we're doing is we're looking at his life and we're exploring in his life what it means to live all of life fully before God. To live with clear eyes and full hearts. That we see in the story of David, he doesn't just like segment God off to this spiritual dimension and be like, well, that's my religious self and this is my political self and this is my sexual self. No, 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 no. All of life is lived before God in the life of David. And that's what we want to see. We want to live with clear eyes, full hearts uh, before our God. Now I say that and the reality is though, I recognize that's hard actually, right? It's hard for us to sometimes see the connection between our faith and our life. 
uh, just this last weekend, as I, as I mentioned, I was out of town. I was speaking at a, a youth event in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and it was about 250 junior high, high school kids. And, and I'm speaking there. And inevitably, after I do something like that, all the kids, you know, follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram and, 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 and all that. And, uh, and they'll tag me in stuff. And they'll tag me in posts. And uh, there's this one girl who tagged me in a picture on Instagram that I just thought was, like, pretty funny. Uh, and this, this is what she says. This is a 13-year-old girl, right? She goes picture, I think it was me speaking, and she said, had a great weekend at Quake, that's what the event was called, uh, made a bunch of new friends, I feel a lot closer to God, want to give a shout out to at Gabe Casper one, uh, his messages were actually relatable. <laughs> actually relatable, like, like, I know that's supposed to be a compliment, but it was pretty backhanded, right, and, and like, like, she wasn't planning on the guy up front being worth listening to, but turns out he wasn't as dumb as he looks. You know, so I was like, uh, thank you for that, uh, Kennedy. So anyways, uh, but, but, you know, I get it, right? I get where she's coming from, where I think for a lot of people, their, their experiences with God, and perhaps some of you, your experience with God, it, it kind of ends up being these sort of, uh, these rare moments of religious formality, and that the connection to God in everyday life sometimes seem hard to grasp, sometimes seems hard to see. And he seems disconnected from normal life. Fortunately, what we see in our text is not only God real and present in our daily life, but in light of the gospel and what he's done to reach out to us, uh, we actually have the opportunity to live all of our life in worship to him. That everything we do can be lived before him. That we can worship him holistically with all of who we are. And so as we get into our text, we're going to see th three truths about God. Three truths about God. Uh, we're going to see, first of all, that God is dangerous. That was a good way to start. God is dangerous. Second, we're going to see that God is real. And third, we're going to see that God is to be worshipped. Okay? God is dangerous. God is real. God is to be worshipped. All right? So, so let's get into it. Uh, God is dangerous. Now, before we get into the text, let me, uh, we'll back it up, Andy. We'll back it up. Before we get into the text, uh, let me just give you the, the context surrounding what we just read a, a few moments ago. Uh, so again, we're looking at the life of David, and so far in the story, this is what we've seen, uh, is that He's, he's, he was a shepherd boy, and the prophet Samuel came and anointed him to be king of Israel while there was still a king on the throne, right? And so as he's waiting to become king, uh, he ends up going and he faces Goliath, this, this giant of a man, and, and kills him. And kind of from that moment on, David becomes a very successful warrior for the nation of Israel, a soldier in the nation of Israel. And so he's doing awesome, and he becomes very popular in the nation. And people are like, this guy is great, we love him, can't wait for him to be king. Problem is, the current king did not like that. He got very jealous of David and tried to kill him. And so David's running around the wilderness for a few years. Uh, but then, sure enough, the king, King Saul, dies, and it becomes time for David to be appointed king. And so that happens. 2 Samuel chapter 5, the chapter right before the one we just read, David's appointed king over all of Israel. And as soon as he's appointed king over all of Israel, uh, their enemies, the Philistines, they come and attack the nation of Israel. And so Israel and the Philistines fight, and they win. The Israelites win. And their way of celebrating is saying, hey, the, the Ark of the Covenant of God, the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, has been just kind of in this storehouse for a while because the Philistines had stolen it a few years back. They're like, now that we've beaten them for good, let's bring this bad boy into the capital city. Let's bring this into Jerusalem. We're going to have this big parade. We're going to celebrate that we beat the Philistines. We're going to do it with the Ark of the Covenant. And so they get it, and they have this parade, and, and there's two priests that are pushing the ark on a new cart, and the priests' names are Uzzah and Ahio. Uzzah and Ahio are pushing the ark of the covenant on this new cart, and this happens. Look with me at verses 5 to 7. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. 
with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. So that happened, right? Like, dude touches the ark and God kills him? Like, what is going on there? You know, like, I, I told this, this past week, I told two friends what I was preaching on, what the text I was preaching on, and both of them, unaware of the other person, go, dude, you have to show that scene from Raiders in the Lost Ark where the Nazi's face gets melted off, right? You know what I'm talking about in Indi- Indiana Jones? I almost called it Indiana and the Jones, which is Tanner's band. Okay. Okay. Uh, but Indiana Jones, right? And I was going to show that, the Nazi's face melting off. And then I like, looked it up on YouTube. It is very graphic. Like, it's super cheesy. But it is like, I was like, there are children. I can't do it. You know, so sorry, you're not going to see it. Um, but is that what's going on here? Right? Is the ark some sort of magical thing and this guy touches it and bzz, gets zapped? Is that what's going on? Well, the short answer is no. Short answer is no. The long answer is this. Uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was, was a sacred and very important object to ancient Israel. And for those of you who don't know, the Ark of the Covenant was this. It was, it was a box that was about four feet uh, long by, by two feet deep and two feet wide. It was covered in gold. On the top of the Ark of the Covenant were two cherubim, two angels facing each other. In the center where they faced the space they created was called the mercy seat. That's where the word of God was honored. And inside the Ark of the Covenant were three objects, uh, three objects that reminded them of the providence of God when, when they needed him. And so it was the, the tablets of stone in which Moses had written the laws of God, that, that God had given them these laws. Uh, and then there was a jar of manna where God had provided food for them as they wandered in the wilderness. And then there was this staff of Aaron, who was the first priest of the nation of Israel, and, and his staff budded. It was a dead stick, and it budded with, with new life into it to remind them of the God who sustains them. And so it's this very important object for them to remind the people of the God that they worshipped. This God who's not superstitious, but a God who actually is involved in history, who actually does stuff, who did things for them, who actually delivered them from slavery, who sustained them in the wilderness, who, who works on their behalf to sustain them now and create and deliver them from their enemies even now. It's this reminder of the God who's with them in history, that he's, not, he's a God who's not afraid to get his hands dirty. And so the Ark of the Covenant for the nation of Israel is probably pretty similar to how we understand the sacraments now. That it's these material objects in which we see God's action in our lives. These material objects that that God uses to work in our lives, whether it be bread and wine or water and baptism, that's what the Ark was. This God who works through these material objects. And so it didn't have magical powers. It wasn't going to melt the Nazis' faces off. And so why does Uzzah get killed when he touches it? Why does that happen? Well, theologians have wrestled with this throughout centuries. uh, And this is where the general consensus seems to land. The short answer is this. Uzzah was killed by God because he tried to control God. It's fatal to try to control God. It's fatal to take charge of God. See, the longer answer is this. Uh, I didn't reread it, but you may have noticed it when I first read the text. But again and again, when it, when it says they're kind of loading the ark up to move, the, the writer of 2 Samuel says, and they put it on the new cart, and they push the ark on the new cart, and they use the new cart to move the ark in this parade. Again and again, we're supposed to see this word, new cart, and that's actually a really big deal. 
Because when the ark was first constructed, God gave very specific instructions to his people. He said, hey, if you're going to move the ark of the covenant, this is how you're going to do it. There's these gold rings on the side, and I want you to slide these poles in those gold rings, and Levites, the priestly class, they're going to carry the ark. And so what Uzzah did with this new cart is he said, hey, God, I know what your word said. I know you said we're supposed to carry it with these poles and we're supposed to stick it through the rings. But, God, that sounds very cumbersome. It doesn't really make sense right now. Plus, we've got the latest, greatest technology. And so we're just going to throw the ark on this cart, and we're going to do things my way because your way seems kind of inconvenient. Uzzah tries to control God. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. Uzzah was in charge, he thought, of God and meant to stay in charge. Uzzah had God where he wanted him and intended to keep him there. The eventual consequence of this kind of life is death. For God will not be managed. God will not be put and kept in a box. Whether the box is constructed of crafted wood or hewn stone or brilliant ideas or fine feelings. We don't take care of God. God takes care of us. See, Uzzah is a warning sign for us that God is dangerous. And see, I'm being a little provocative there, of course. But listen, God's not going to be boxed in. He's not going to be boxed in. He's he's not going to be used as a means to an end. He's not going to allow himself to be manipulated by the will of man. This text tells us you start doing that, you are playing with fire. See, we can only relate to God as he's revealed himself to us in Scripture. And we have to relate to him on those terms. You start changing that. You start getting weird with that. Then you start trying to control God. You start trying to control God, and God says that's not going to happen. But we do this, don't we? We try to control God. Right? We do it morally. We say, hey, you know, God, I've been following your rules, been doing your thing, been showing up to church, been flossing my teeth at night. Like, I'm doing, doing all the right stuff. And, and so, uh, <laughs> side note real quick, I was at the dentist, and my dental hygienist flossed my teeth. And, uh, and I was like, you know, and I don't floss my teeth because who does, right? And, and she's like, I was like, so did I bleed a lot? And she goes, like a murder scene. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Anyways. Side note. All right, so, so we try to do that, right? Like, like we try to control God morally. We say, hey, if I do all these right things, then you're going to bless me, then you're going to take care of me, God. It doesn't work like that. Or we try to control God politically. Say, hey, I've got these really strong views about the way the world should be run and what it should look like and what it means, and I'm just going to get God to endorse that. He's just going to put a stamp on approval of the way that I think should, should be done, and, and that's going to work. God's going to support me in what I believe. You sure? Sure, it's not going to backfire tremendously. We try to control God religiously. We say, hey, listen, I know I was saved by grace in Jesus Christ, that it's all his work, that I've done nothing to earn God's favor, but but now that I've been a Christian for a while, you know, I know where the Bible verses are, I know where to look things up, I know the right things to do at church, when to stand up, when to sit down. And these people over there, they, they don't have their priorities straight. They're not showing up to the right things on time. They don't care as much as I do. God's on my side here. If only they were as pious as I was. You sure? We try to control God socially too, right? 
Say, ooh, God, man, the, the way you revealed yourself in Scripture is too exclusive. That they're the only way to use through Jesus? <laughs> no, 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 no. Or, or God, your, your commands on sexuality, that just does not fit our culture right now, so sorry. Those are out. Your commands on, on money and generosity, that's far too extreme. Or, or your commands on justice, that's just not going to fit here in Central Texas. People aren't going to know what to do with that. It's too unpalatable. So tell you what, God, I'm going to run a PR campaign for you, all right? We're just going to ignore all that. The kids will think you're cool again. Try to control God. Listen, whenever you try to control God morally, religiously, socially, politically, whatever way you can think of, I'm telling you, you control God, it is dangerous. Because more often than not, when you try to control God, the result is death. You become dead in your spirit. You become dead before God. You don't live life fully alive before him. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. And so as opposed to a life lived fully before God, engaging him and knowing him and knowing his love, your faith just becomes a storehouse for dead men's bones. There's a story, uh, one of Aesop's fables about an old miser. And uh, this miser, he, uh, he's, you know, he's got all this money and, he, and he, he hides it in his garden. And every day he goes to count his gold and, and he walks this path to his garden every single day and he counts his gold to make sure it's all there and then he goes away. Now, he's walked this path so many times that he's actually got a trail that leads right to the gold. And so one night, uh, a thief is like, well, do something about this. And a thief goes in, digs up, the, he knows right where it is, digs it up, takes the gold and leaves. And the next morning, the miser gets there and he looks and he sees that his gold is gone and he just cries out in grief. And he says, oh no, it's all gone. All my gold is gone. What am I going to do? And a passerby walks by and sees him and says, hey, what's, what's going on? And the miser said, my gold, my gold, someone robbed me. And the passerby said, your gold, you keep your gold in this hole? Why don't you put it in your house where you can actually use it to like buy stuff? And the miser said, buy? I couldn't possibly think of touching that gold. I couldn't spend any of it. And so the stranger picked up a large stone and threw it in the hole. And he said, good, just cover that up. It's about as useful to you as your gold was. Here's my point. Try to control God. You want him to work this way. You want him to store him up and keep him this way. And this is how he's got to work. And if he starts breaking any boundaries that you have for him, telling you, you start doing that, you stop letting God be God, and you become God. Your faith dies. You may as well have no faith at all. Just have a rock and a hole. That's all it is. See, Uzzah's death in our text was not sudden. It was years in the making. Years in the making. What we see in our text is that David's story, on the other hand, is, is the complete opposite. David was alive to a very real and a very living God. Because look at how he responds to Uzzah's death. Verse 8. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Go to seminary for four years, and that's what you get. Obed-Edom, the Gittite. All right, good. All right, so look, look at how David responds, right? This, he's having this parade, having a good time. Things are going well, and the priest dies all of a sudden out of nowhere. And so what does David do? And if you click back to verse 8, first thing David does, verse 8, was angry at the Lord. Second thing he does, David was afraid of the Lord. Third thing David does is like, we just got to call this off right now. 
I can't deal with this right now. Now see, I love this because when God does something that David didn't like, when God did something that David didn't understand, David doesn't try to control God. He engages God. He says, God, I'm angry. Why did you kill this priest? God, I'm afraid. I, I don't understand what you're doing. Why are you doing this to us? And then he says, finally, he's like, God, I just can't handle all this. I'm just putting the ark aside. I just got to wrestle with you for a few months. We got to work through this. I don't know what's going on. You see, David has a very real encounter with God. He's a human being who's actually talking to his creator. He's a human being who's alive before a living God. I got to tell you, as a, as a pastor, I'm often surprised at when I'll, I'll talk with folks about uh, some question they have about faith or a question they have about life or whatever's going on, and I'll just say, oh, okay, well, you know, that's cool. Have, have you talked with God about that? Have you, you prayed about that? And they kind of recoil, like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. As if he doesn't know what's going on anyways, right? He says, and, but, but we do this. What we see in the life of David is that we're meant to come honest to him. If God is real, if his word is true, if he's actually present with us, if he's actually living right now, we're meant to come to him with our, our questions, our concerns, to actually encounter a living being, to live our life before him. We've got to come honest to him. This past week, uh, I, I reread an article that I bookmarked about a year and a half ago, and uh, it's called Dear Hipster Jesus, and, uh, and it was written by the, the comedian Sarah Schaefer, and, uh, and in this article, it's incredibly well-written, it's very honest, it's, it's a great article if you want to look it up, but, but Schaefer writes a letter to, to Hipster Jesus uh, and explains why she doesn't believe in him anymore, and, and her reasoning for not believing in him is, n is not uncommon. And, and she says, you know, here, here's why I don't believe in you anymore. She says, you know, I got these struggles with uh, the reasonableness of things like knowing the ark and how long people lived in, in Old Testament times and, and some of the severity of God's judgment in the Old Testament like we see in our story today. And then she kind of gets into these bigger philosophical questions, and she's like, you know, hipster Jesus, I got these problems with, with hell and uh, her perception at least of, of misogyny and what she perceives to be homophobia in the Bible. She, and then she wrote this. She said, Jesus... I confess at the end of the day, I just couldn't deal with these impossible policies I was being asked to tote. And I remember reading that, and I'm like, and I get it, right? Like, I, I get it. Some of you may be right where she is at, right? Maybe right where she's at right now, you're like, there's just so much. I just can't, like, dive into the Christian thing because there's all, I got all these issues with all this different stuff. And I get it. Those are real issues, and she's not alone in that struggle. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for her honesty. But here's my struggle. She doesn't go far enough. She doesn't go far enough. Like she came across something in the Christian faith, something in the Bible, something with Jesus that disagreed with her that she didn't like. In other words, God became something she couldn't control. God was working in ways she didn't want him to. And her response was to walk away. Instead of asking questions like, could I be wrong? Could my culture be wrong? Could I be misunderstanding what the Bible's saying? Maybe it's not even saying that. Is it at all possible that the God of all times and all cultures could lay down some truth that just isn't going to line up with my cultural moment? That we're not the end-all, be-all, and I just have to accept that. Is that possible? And so I'm not saying we can't have questions. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying we need to. So we have to come honest to God. But instead of walking away because of those, 
We actually listen to him. We actually wrestle with it. We actually dive in deep to what he said and see how he responds. And see, this is what happens with David. Right? We see in our text, he's like, God, I'm so confused about what's going on with Uzzah. I don't know why you killed this guy. I don't know why you would do this. When we're just trying to celebrate what happened, like this makes no sense to me. And so David's just like kind of out of the picture for three months, it says. For three months. And then this happens. Verse 12. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. All right, so after three months of David wrestling with God over this whole thing with Uzzah dying, he gets word that, that God is blessing Obed-Edom, this guy that's housing the Ark of the Covenant. And you get this sense that David's like, all right, awesome, let's go time. Like It's like something clicks in his heart. And it's like all of a sudden he's reminded of all that God has done for him and, and done for them to create him and to deliver him and to save them and to provide for them. And he says, we got to celebrate, we got to go. And so he gets the whole crew together and he throws a parade together. And then there's this weird line in verse 13. I don't know if you guys caught this, right? So they get the parade going and it says, and when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Right? Like, hey, the party's getting started. Hold on. Got to kill Muffy. And off we go. Right? Like, what is that about? What that's about is this, is David was consecrating this parade. David was saying to God, listen, God, this is not just going to be a happy parade because we had victory in battle. It's not going to be just a, a parade that, that I'm excited about because I'm, I'm figuring out who you are and how you work. No, no, no. God, this entire parade is going to be worship to you. Everything we do marching this ark into the city is going to be done in worship to you. Everything we do as a kingdom is going to be done in worship to you. And we see this actually get taken a step further uh, where it says, verse 14, that David was wearing a linen ephod. Uh, and there's actually this debate out there about, like, is that all he was wearing? Because an ephod, it'd basically be like he was just in his underwear. Or did he have some more stuff on? And there's, like, this whole thing, schools of thought back and forth. It super doesn't matter. Uh, because the, the bottom line is this, that an ephod, uh, and I know you all know what ephods are, common. Um, it was a joke. Uh, an ephod, if you're like, but I don't. It was a joke. Okay, ephods uh, were a priestly garment. They're priests of government, so the priests wore them. And so what David's doing is he's saying, hey, nation of Israel, as we bring this ark into the city of Jerusalem, I want you to know that I'm a priestly king. That I'm not just here to, to rule over you, but I'm here to worship the God of the universe. I'm here to lead you in worship of the God who is with us, who's provided for us. He says, I'm a priestly king. I want to lead all of you in a life of worship before this, our true God. And it's a beautiful thing. What's even more beautiful is that we, God's people today, also have a priestly king. We have a priestly king who's gone before us. Hebrews 10 puts it like this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So this text tells us that, that Jesus is our priestly king. 
that on the cross he was sacrificed once and for all. And because of that, he consecrates your entire life. As you trust in him, he, he sets aside your entire life as a holy worship towards God. As you trust in Jesus, you're brought in to the loving embrace of the Father that he's created you, he's delivered you from sin and death and the devil, and he sustains you to this day. And see, when, when you get that, man, when that like sinks into your heart, when that's an overwhelming reality for you, you can't help but, as verse 22 says, to draw near to God, following after your priestly king. That Jesus' sacrifice for you sanctifies all of your life to be worshipped towards God. Uh, so I had this friend in seminary who's like the, the most reserved guy I know. Uh, he was also kind of like crotchety. Um, he, I, I'm not kidding. First time I met him, he was reading a book. It was titled The Dumbest Generation. Uh, then, and then the, uh, the subtitle was Don't Trust Anyone Under 25. He was 24 when he was reading it. I was like, you are an 85-year-old man trapped in a 24-year-old's body. Like, that's just how he was. And, uh, and so, anyways, he and I became very good friends. In our final year of seminary, uh, Melissa, my wife, and I went with him and his wife to go see a worship band. And so we go to go see this worship band. Now, uh, for those of you who, who don't know, uh, Acts is rooted, our church, is rooted in a uh, very reserved, some would say a rigid understanding of worship. Uh, and, and so, like, like, we're the sort of people that sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, sitting down. And, and so my, my buddy at Sem was like, all about that life, right? He's like, yep, and that's how it should be, right? And like, that's just him, right? And, uh, but we go to see this worship band. And there's this moment at the end of this worship band set where the band had a, everyone there in the room uh, stand up and say the word shalom over and over again. Shalom. Uh, it was a little weird, but, but they had us do it, and we close our eyes, and we're doing this. Uh, and shalom, of course, is the, the Hebrew word for peace, but it's not really just about this, like, inner peace, kumbaya, but it's really about uh, God's peace, that God's going to bring uh, holistic healing to this world, that he's going to redeem and restore all things, that his reign is going to be true, that that which is broken is going to be fixed, and that where there's darkness is going to be light, and that God's going to make everything right. It's like this, this beautiful image of shalom, of God redeeming and restoring all things that are broken. And so we're saying this word over and over again. Uh, and then finally it ends, and, uh, you know, my eyes are closed during this time. Um, and then the band kicks in, and they're doing some worship song, and people are up, and they're worshiping, and they're singing. And, and I'm standing up there, and, and I'm singing. And I look down, and I expected to see my buddy just sitting there kind of watching the band. Not, he's not a jerk. That's just kind of his style. You know, I expect him to be sitting there watching the band. Nope. He's standing up, like, arms straight up, like waterworks rolling down his, his, his face. And I was like, what is going on? And, and he looked at me, and he motioned me. He's like, throw him up, bro. Throw him up. And I was like... All right, now, and, and those of you that, like, sit up front, you know that at most I do what I like to call the carry the TV, you know. Um, occasionally I'll go widescreen, but, uh, but, uh, but I am typically not this guy, right? But he told me, I was like, let's do it, baby, you know, and so, so we're doing it. And, and I asked him afterwards, I said, like, what was that all about? Like, I've never seen that before in my entire life. To be honest, I haven't seen it since in him. And I, and I said, what was going on? And he said, I don't know. It's like, it's that weird shalom moment. He's like, I just, I just had this time where I was like, I was thinking about all that Jesus has done for me. And I was thinking about how he went to the cross for me and how he forgives me and how he loves me and how he's with me every day and he's leading me every day. And, and, and I just was thinking like, after all he's done for me, I just want to offer him everything that I can. Now listen, I'm not saying if you don't lift your hands in worship, you don't really love God and you don't really get the gospel. I'm not saying that. That's nonsense, okay? But I am saying this. When you get all that God has done for you, 
Like, when you see everything that he's done for you in Jesus Christ, then the conversations that David has with God in our text, your conversations with God start to look like that. God, I don't understand this. God, this doesn't make sense for me. God, I'm really happy about this. When you see all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, David's dancing into the city in Jerusalem doesn't seem that weird. If you may not do it physically, you're at least sensing it inside. You see, when you see all that God has done for you in Jesus, you start to look at your entire life, every aspect of it, and you see it as an opportunity to worship and to dance with your priestly king. Let's talk to him now. Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for today. give you thanks that because of your sacrifice for us, our lives are consecrated for a holy purpose, that our entire lives can be worshipped to you. And God, I pray for my friends who think, oh, I've got too much baggage, I've got too much going on, I've messed up too much, I couldn't possibly do that. I pray that they'd know that your grace is for them, that you've called them to. And so, Lord Jesus, may, may we follow after you May we rejoice with you, our priestly king, this day and always. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.